Listen up, MogoCast listeners. 2009 is finally here, and now, GoDaddy hosting plans are more powerful than ever. Best of all, plans start at just $3.95 a month, and no matter what plan you choose, your site receives 24-7 maintenance and protection in the GoDaddy.com world-class data center. Plus, as a listener of MogoCast, enter code RON. That's R-O-N when you check out and get your .com domain name for just $6.95 a year. Some restrictions always apply, but check that site out for the details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. This is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to MuggleCast. Hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Here, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce MuggleCast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Borders. Thanks to uh, Borders for hosting us today. Uh, nice, nice crowd here, too. Um, I'm Andrew Sims. Got Emerson Sparts here, uh, Micah Tannenbaum, and Ben Shane on my far right. Um, who went to the premiere yesterday? To get a good, everyone get good seats, good uh, pictures, front row. Anyone get autographs? From who? Rupert and Emma. Oh, wow, a lot of autographs. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Emerson, I saw you signing out there, too. You were quite the celebrity. Some people must have felt sorry for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, it was obviously a lot of fun. Did anyone go to the Goblet of Fire premiere podcast, or premiere, which was, got one guy? It was November (laughs) 2005, and it brought back memories for me, because, like, you know, it was the same exact theater. I was doing it with Emerson all over again. (laughs) But, yeah, so... It was a so lot of fun. At the uh, uh, Order of the Phoenix premiere in L.A., we uh, borrowed our friend's camera, and we had this giant like TV camera with a shoulder strap and everything, so we looked like we were like an actual TV crew. Which it, it was, this it was time cool. we looked like noobs. Yeah, we did. But they put, it, they put us in between, and we got to give WB credit for this. because yeah, this was awesome. They put us right in between this year's CNN and Reuters, so it's like Reuters. You know, they, got, Reuters. they got their big cameras, and I got a nice camera. It's small, but first of all, what's so funny about that? I mean... <laughs> We, uh, it's, it's great because uh, it, it just shows the power of the, the Harry Potter fandom that, you know, instead of having us stuck at the very end of the line, you know, having to club other reporters with your microphone to get in there and ask a few questions, they're now Warner Brothers recognizes how large this community really is. Mm-hmm. And so they actually put us at the front of the line where we can be comfortable and talk to the stars as, as they come through, you know, at our own pace. And, of course, so the Reuters guy is to our right and Emerson immediately knocks the guy's camera over <laughs> and doesn't say a word about it and the Reuters camera guy is like I was hoping you wouldn't notice <laughs> and th- so that was kind of embarrassing oh the, be- the best part was that you know we, ha- we had great placement except that we just happened to be placed right behind a giant lamppost <laughs> yeah it was literally right in so our spot so when you, when you see the footage online you'll notice that for every interview instead of you know you know just you know standing comfortably and having a you know a nice little chat with Emma you know I'm like this like, yeah. like, like, <laughs> pressed up against, and there was such. I had such an awkward moment. The very first, it was really cramped, and the very first um, 
person who came through was it was uh, Yates. It was Yates, David Yates, Yates, right? Yates, the director. And um, we hadn't really figured out how we were going to stand next to the other journalists. So the the lady from CNN, like as soon as Yates got there, she just like launched into position and was like pressed up against me so hard and I was just like choking to death and like standing there really awkwardly not wanting to move because I didn't want to bump her hand while she was you know on camera but so I had to sit there for the entire interview with like our bodies pressed together so awkwardly (laughs) we we eventually figured out a position that wouldn't you know involve that much physical contact thank god (laughs) but then she asked for your number so I think she liked it (laughs) (laughs) Um, so there were a couple interesting things that we learned on the red carpet uh, once again, we waited till the last minute to come up with questions, but that's okay because the the CNN who was on our left, how it works is the the stars will go one by one down the press line, and right before us was CNN, and CNN asked some question. Alan Rickman was there, um, and Alan Rickman was right there. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool. Yeah, we never see him. <laughs> yeah, he never comes out to premieres. I don't know what his deal was this time, but yeah. anyway, um, so CNN somehow gets him the reveal, and I don't know if we've heard this yet. That J.K. Rowling, when he first got the part of Snape, he said to J.K. Rowling, look, I need to know something about Snape that nobody else knows. And Joe said, okay, but you can't tell anyone. And this was like 10 years ago. So the CNN reporter naturally was like, so what was it? And he's like, oh, sorry, I, can't, I cannot reveal this information. <laughs> and then the CNN guy's like, well, the MuggleNet's right next door, so they're going to be bugging you more about it because, you know, we're the fan site. We want to know. So then we ask him. Repeatedly, yeah, <laughs> and he still he still refuses to ask. Now, first of all, or to reveal. So, does anybody have any theories what like Joe could have told Alan and not have? He's like still refusing to not tell it. And as Emerson said to Alan, I mean, all the books are out. You don't need to hide it anymore. Yeah, I, I really don't know because he. I asked him. I, I said, okay, you know, the books are out. You know, we have nothing. There's nothing. There's no reason to worry about spoiling anything anymore. And his excuse was that not everyone has read the books. <laughs> like, well, everybody who visits MuggleNet.com has read the books. Yeah. <laughs> so does I that mean it was something that was in the books? Uh, I don't know. We don't know. He may not even know. Has he read the books? <laughs> <laughs> he really may not know. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's, like, I think that's a question for Joe now because I guess, okay, Alan Rickman promised he couldn't, he wouldn't tell anyone. So maybe it's a question for Joe. Maybe Joe, Joe's ready to tell. But I really want to know because, yeah. you know, we all love Snape. So uh, it was so weird talking to him. It, it just, it, I, I kept. I, I had to stop myself from not actually calling him Snape. You know, like, well, he has that voice. He that, talks exactly like Snape all of the time. Yeah, he's not acting. He is Snape. Yeah. It's it's the same thing with Michael Gambon because he was at the press junket. We didn't interview him, but he was at the press junket, and I was there yesterday. That was before the premiere yesterday. And he walks in with uh, David Yates, David Heyman, David Barron, and uh, Steve Clovis, the screenwriter. And he starts talking, and I turn to the girl next to me. I was like, "Snape's in the room. He's or Dumbledore's in the room. He's talking to us because the voice is exactly the same." Was he still wearing the tie in his beard? <laughs> no. no, but it was funny during the junket. He was like, "Yeah, I had a wardrobe uh, insert a pocket in my cloak uh, to hold cigarettes." <laughs> I tweeted about that. That was so funny. <laughs> Twitter.com slash MuggleNet. So, <laughs> the updates were. Uh, did anyone follow this uh, the Twitter account? Did anyone have a Twitter? Were they good updates? I was trying to tweet as much as possible. I know people are like, "What's tweeting? What a stupid word." <laughs> 
finally got Emerson to come around to tweeting, right? I'm, I'm starting to see the value in it now. I, I didn't get it at all for a long time. I signed up for an account like a year ago, and I just thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. But I, I realized I didn't actually know how it worked. So now that I'm actually understanding how it works, it's, it's actually starting to get fun. Mike is a hardcore <laughs> tweeter, aren't you? Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and one last thing from the premiere I wanted to talk about. Well, actually, two more things. Uh, you asked them. Uh, you asked them a good question, and they were like, "Oh wow, I've never thought of that before." Which was, it, "How are they going to explain this phenomenon to their grandkids when your great or great grandkids, you know, twenty, thirty years from now?" And you asked pretty much like the entire cast that, right? Yeah. And it, what did some it, of them say? Um, I, I, they all had different ways of – it was kind of like, you know, what does Harry Potter mean to you? You know, when you really zoom out on something like this, you know, that it's just, you know, taking up a huge part of your life and, you know, all the, the hype and the hubbub. And and Heyman in particular was just knocked down by this question. And uh, basically he – to them it's it's like this, this, this moment in time in which the entire world sort of started reading fiction again. You know, you, you all have experiences. You all have friends. You may be one of those yourself who didn't really read until someone said, hey, read Harry Potter, you know, and then all of a sudden it, it gave you new life. You know, it made suddenly made books seem interesting again. But, you know, it just – I think you'll enjoy seeing their reactions to this question. Yeah. And we have the interviews. They'll probably be up on the site tomorrow or whenever I can get to a computer that imports video. If anyone has a MacBook and would allow me to import the premiere footage, I'd be happy to do that right now. <laughs> And I'll let you keep the footage, too. <laughs> um, so what oh, – and also you asked them what they were looking forward to filming in Movie 7 because they're five months into it now. Mm-hmm. Alan Rickman actually revealed he starts in October. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what, 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 what were they looking forward to filming? I remember um, Tom Felton and uh, Rupert both mentioned right away that they were really looking forward to the epilogue. They were really looking forward to seeing how Warner Brothers was going to make them look, you know, old when they clearly weren't. So simple pleasures, I guess, right? You, you, how many? I, they've, they've been filming these for years now. They've had to do all kinds of crazy, you know, stunts and CG and, and all these different sets, and yet they're most interested to see how the makeup's going to work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be more the makeup, and they said at the junket yesterday they're not sure how it's it, they're going to do it yet. Uh, the producers said they haven't figured out. And so one of the press was like, are you going to do it Benjamin Button style? And they were like, no, because with that, you go from older to younger, and we're trying to make them 17 years older. So, uh, 19? I'm sorry. 19 <laughs> years old. I haven't, I haven't read the books. So I just showed up at the junket yesterday. Um, so, 19 years older. And so, it will be interesting to see how they do that. And I thought it was interesting that they still haven't figured out how they're going to age them. But David Heyman said, to wrap that all up, he said that the actors will be playing those roles definitely, which was good to hear. Because there was rumors that they were going to hire some new cast to play those roles. But the last scenes of uh, you know movie seven part two can't be other actors it has to be the trio so and tom and bonnie and all them it just reminded me of a really random um part from the premiere when we first got there and we saw where we were stationed and how like cramped it was going to be all of the tv crews had people stationed outside there's like a you know there's a barrier there's the carpet and then there's the camera guys and so we thought we were gonna have all the all the room in the world on the on the actual carpet to talk and then this big burly security guy says nope you gotta get behind the barrier and so we all just kind of looked at each other and, like, looked at the size, like, the, the, how tight it already was. And then just uh, I, how, how, can, how can you ask us to, to try to fit there? And so the entire – you'll watch on the video when you see it, like, every about five seconds, Andrew's, like, pushing my head back. Like, get your head out of the way because you couldn't even see the, the on camera because it, yeah. it was cramped. But it was and, – And then one last person, uh, Dan, uh, you also asked him what he was looking forward to filming. Mm-hmm. And what did he say? Um – 
did he say? <laughs> I, have it, I have it right here. Let's play the video. No, uh, he was most looking forward to uh, the final walk through the forest. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. It's really cool. <laughs> and you know what else was interesting? At the junket yesterday, somebody asked him, I guess, what his favorite scene was in Half-Blood Prince. And I thought this was really interesting. He said, my favorite scene... Uh, and this is all time ever, and I know I'll never shoot something as cool as this. And he said it's a scene in Half-Blood Prince where he comes out of the water in the cave. He comes out of the water, and he looks up, and he sees Dumbledore sp- spinning that ring of fire. And I was like, wow. And this, I mean, it's a really cool... you see it, you'll understand why. Yeah, but I just thought it was really bold to say you'll never shoot something as cool as that again. Because, you know, you still got the seventh movie, and who knows what else you'll do in your future, so... It is a really cool scene, though. Yeah. yeah so... So that that is that. Um, and Ben, I know I'm so sorry you two haven't weren't at the uh, the junket or the didn't do the press. So you guys are just watching us. But uh, I couldn't help but notice you have something on your elbow right there that you got from a little too much excitement at the premiere. Y- ben yeah. can never go to a premiere and not have a story. <laughs> um, well, after after the film let out, uh, we walked out and there were still just tons of fans still across the street just waiting for people to walk out and they were still cheering and it was wild. Anyways, um, I walked. I went to go across the street, and there was a car coming. So naturally, I broke into a jog. <laughs> and as I sped towards the barrier, I said, "This is it. I'm gonna. I, I'm clearing this." <laughs> and I still had the the premiere pass in my hand, which was my fatal flaw. And as I bound towards the barrier, I go to shift my weight up and just jump over it. And I caught my leg, and I fell hard right on the pavement but luckily the crowd wasn't watching me they were too busy staring at the theater but emerson saw and it was painful both uh psychologically and um physically but i hopped right up and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger i I, I can't lie i've seen a lot of comical falls in my life but this one was just perfect every step of the way i thought there's no way he's actually gonna try to jump over this then I thought, oh, there's, you know, he catches his leg on the top. I'm like, oh, there's no, oh, he, I can't believe he even caught his leg, right? And then he starts to fall, and he starts twisting, <laughs> and then he just lands like, like, like a pancake on the pavement. I think Emerson must have saw it in slow mo because I think it happened. A I was bit savoring than every that. moment. Saw it on the Ziegfeld Theater security cameras yeah. later, uh, and then, and then right after, Ben calls me. He's like, dude, I got something to. S- Special to show you. Yeah. And I thought like, like he, he was getting all his, excited. I'm sure. I thought he got like his premiere ticket signed by Emma or something like something legitimately cool. And then, <laughs> and then he knocks on the hotel room door. I open it up. And he's like, "Check this out." I, I'm, I'm, I'm bleeding it's, everywhere it's at this bleeding. point. I'm like, "What are you doing?" And then, then I proceed to go and reenact what happened on the bed <laughs> with a bloody elbow still. And uh, yeah, Andrew had bloody sheets, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Andrew. If the, if they charge us for that, you're paying. Yeah. It's my card, but Fun you're times. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the movie, but we're try we're not going to try to do spoiler stuff. Um, so per- we're going to talk about some broad stuff related to the movie because uh, I saw it last week. Ben and Emerson saw it last night. Micah saw it the other day. Um, so we've yeah, all I seen- actually saw it. Yeah, unlike Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> when for anyone who doesn't know, when how long did it take you to see Order of the Phoenix? A few weeks, months. <laughs> you're not a fan. I know. I just show up. Anyway. Well, one particularly interesting thing was uh, we've been talking for the longest time about the PG rating on MuggleCast and just how, like, it sort of really didn't make any sense and, you know, why, why it got a PG rating. Micah, do you think it deserved a PG rating? 
after watching the movie, I, I think it can get away with the PG rating. I really do. Oh. So all that stuff that we talked about, it, they, they did it justice. They did the PG rating justice. Because it's been interesting because for Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix, they were rated PG-13. And, you know, the cast every year, it's like, oh, it's darker, 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 darker. And then with this film, it, it, I think it was just the balance of how they, they really mixed the romance. And, and they say, you know, there's romance. Like, they're not kidding. There's a lot of romance. It's basically romance, action, romance, action, it, romance. It, it could have gotten the PG-13 rating more for the romance than actually for the violence. <laughs> I just my, – my, my issue with the PG rating is there's, there's – when, when you see the Inferi – You'll know what I mean They're about pretty the freaky. They're creepy. <laughs> ben, do you think it deserved it? Yes. <laughs> David Heyman at the junket, somebody asked him that question, and he, he had a great line. He said, I, I saw the rating, and I didn't know what I, – I thought, what, what the hell were the MPA thinking? Because, like, you know, it, it was kind of – it was a surprise, I think, to everyone. And yet in England and Australia, it's, they rated the PG-13 equivalent. So – that's that. Um, do you guys think? And we ask this question every single time, and you know, naturally, you're going to say yes. But was it truly the best movie yet, Emerson? We all remember at Goblet of Fire premiere when you you said your classic line. You were like, hands, hands down, down. <laughs> hands <laughs> best down. movie ever, and then the crowd roared. The funny thing is, I actually I, I tweeted the exact same thing <laughs> yes. without even realizing that that was the same thing. I just I, I totally forgot that's what people had making been making fun of me for. Why do you think it's the best years? movie yet? Get everyone excited. Why do you just, think it's the best movie I, yet? Because I, I, I liked it a lot. <laughs> no, I feel like they just took it everything to a new level, yeah, especially they, the acting of the trio. Emma's gotten a lot better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, By better, do you mean sexier or no, acting her acting, wise? her skill. Um, <laughs> she stopped doing the eyebrow thing that she yes. used to do. Um, I immediately noticed that um, first close-up shot, and like her eyebrows didn't move a bit. She was just talking. It was really cool. I was like, yes. I just feel like they finally. I just feel like they've gotten a lot better at taking a book and turning it into a movie. I think that's what like now that they had like more and more experience doing that and. They know what to cut. They know what to keep. They, they've done a lot better job at, at doing it justice. Micah? Yeah, I agree with Ben and also Michael Gambon. Uh, I was not a big fan of his for most of the movies that came before this, and I think he did a great job in this movie. Yeah. Did he finally read the books or something? Or what? <laughs> no. He still hasn't read the books. At the, at the London premiere, it was funny. Somebody was like, so uh, what do you think of this movie? And he's like, oh, I forget already. I filmed it a year ago, and there's been five movies since then. I'm like... PR nightmare. Okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think Michael Gammon. Uh, he he's really grown, and we've seen in the trailers. You know, it, he's a weak Dumbledore in this film, uh, and it really comes through. And uh, the cave scene. And I didn't read the book before I saw the movie. Reread the book before I saw the movie. I read parts of it after, and the cave scene is pretty loyal to the book. Because um, particularly, I was a little confused. I was surprised one thing happened so quick, but when I reread it, I saw it happened just as quickly. So, um, yeah, it was it, the cave scene. Like you know, that's of course the epic scene. Did you guys cry at all during the movie? <laughs> My eyes got. You a could be honest, wet. Ben. You guys, your eyes got a little wet. Yeah. Well, I get, to be honest, I, I didn't get much sleep the night before. <laughs> Um, so I was like the theater was just so comfortable and I was just I was struggling to stay awake. Now don't hate me. I but it was I was like I had to keep jolting myself but but it was awesome though. Yeah. 
Particularly like the, the, the part where the fire is just like mm-hmm. making the fire tornadoes and yeah. stuff. It gave me chills. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know how you slept. And the girl, Ben was sitting right in front of me, and there was uh, a small girl to my right who was, uh, let's just say she was providing commentary throughout the movie. <laughs> like, like, like the best Harry Potter fan, though, you know, when, when it would show Lavender being, you know, Lavender, she'd be like, no, you know. <laughs> Which I want to do at Azkatraz now when, when Jesse Cave is like, what does she say? He, he's mine or something? Or Ron's in the hospital wing oh. and then Lavender comes in and says, uh, he's my boyfriend. And that's when the girl behind me, who's the next Emerson, goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that at Azkatraz. Like, just have a group of people just go, no. <laughs> uh, that, that was really serious. But I got to admit, I got a little emo during... Um, the scene where you see the real uh, Slughorn's real memory, uh, and when that the Hogwarts Tom Riddle, first of all, that actor, not just the young Tom Riddle that we saw in the initial trailer, but the guy who plays the Hogwarts version of Tom Riddle, who's not the same one as in Chamber of Secrets, Christian Coulson. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah, um, he's a different actor. He's a lot better. He's he's really <laughs> he's okay. Maybe not better, but like. For the, he was just really creepy. He was very serious. He was. He pulled off like that vindictive. Yeah, exactly. Very well. Yeah, and so that's the scene. Where I was like, oh wow, I can't believe. Like hearing them talk about Horcruxes for the first time made me like, oh my god, they're setting everything up. Like this is where, you know, this is the rest of the movie now. It's all about the Horcruxes. And another thing that was interesting was that this felt like really the real part one, to book seven. Because they at the end it's sort of left little open ended. There's no big, you know, they don't run up on the train like they do in all the years past. And Hagrid waves by, and it's just a cute, <laughs> happy ending. But this time it's like it's the, it just it just sort of sort of just stops, and it felt complete, but it it was left open. You know what I mean? I think he, uh, Yates might be trying to make uh, reparations for the Chamber of Secrets ending, with Hagrid coming to the Great Hall and like a ten minute long cheese fest of smiles and hugs. <laughs> That was the. I have to say that was, was the worst. So awkward. That when I was a little kid, that made me. I was like, Yeah, Hagrid's back. Hagrid's back. Everything's good again. <laughs> I just couldn't. When I saw that scene, I just couldn't help but think, you know, they they cut out what scenes for this. Yeah, yeah, that that was pretty drawn out. Um, well, speaking of David Yates, uh, how about how about his directing style? Because this, of course, is. The first time since Chris Columbus, who directed one and two, that we've seen uh, a director direct two films. So, do you guys think David Yates expanded on it? Do you think he improved? Uh, I thought he had a really interesting comment. I think it was at the junket, um, or perhaps it was another interview. But he mentioned that when he filmed uh, the last movie, he didn't really realize how big Harry Potter was. He didn't. He'd never seen, you know, how you guys were at the premiere. And so he knew that Harry Potter was big, but he didn't. He, he really didn't grasp like the fan power, right? How how serious it was. So he said he found himself with this movie being much more uh, second guessing himself more because he didn't. You know, he was more worried about sending us into a, a, a bit of a tizzy. And I think this movie, I, I loved how it was just so balanced. It was the teen drama, injected humor, and awesome action. Like that's you just see the movies just one after the other. Just it's like in a row. One, two, three. One, two, three. Yeah, exactly. But it's perfect. It's a perfect balance. Like there'll, there'll be a real, really serious part, and then it'll, then all of a sudden something funny will happen to to interrupt that. And it, it, they do a great job. Micah, did you think Yates expanded or? Yeah, I think overall everyone seemed to feel more comfortable just watching it on screen. 
everyone seemed to you know work together very well whereas I thought or the Phoenix that didn't happen a whole lot but I agree with what both Ben and Emerson said I think it was much more balanced yeah like the one thing that bothered me about or the Phoenix was some of those transitions when they're going in and out of the newspapers I just thought that was such a bad way of like moving the story along it was I, I don't know cheap I don't know how to describe it really it was tough though it was forced a lot of material to cover but yeah they did but and and he uh steve clovis the screenwriter said this at uh, at the uh junket yesterday he said uh well he said joe said to him look i understand you can't make the movies what the books are but just keep the character development because that's what really matters to me most and they were emphasizing a lot how how the books are really character driven i mean that's what it comes down to that's why the stories are so great i mean the plots are great too and like david yates says i'm not a fan of magic really i like it but i'm not a fan and i'm not a fan of like hog or school stories i like it but i'm not a fan but what i am a fan of is character development and that's what makes it work i'm sorry i have to uh oh go ahead i was going to say that i think steve clovis did a, a great job like the actual writing in this film was great and because i felt at the end of goblet of fire when he messed up the dumbledore speech it was kind of a hack job i thought and I feel like maybe taking a movie off with movie five, like maybe did him some good, and then he was able to, I don't know, perform better for the this latest film. Yeah. Plus, I think maybe when he was looking at movie five, he was like, "Damn, I could have written this better. I could have written this better." And he's getting, you know, he's pumping him up. So, and he said too at the junket yesterday, he's such a big fan, and he, he's a really nice guy. He's like the only American guy on the on the crew, and uh, USA. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, um, but. He's he's just a really big fan, and he's made that clear so many times. So he said, you know, it pains me just as much to, uh, uh, pains me just as much to cut stuff out. But you have to do it because you know, we don't have eight hours. You know who's who's uh, a great guy to talk about Harry Potter with? Um, David Heyman, the producer. When you talk to him, he's you can so tell he's so sincere and legitimate in his uh, interest and desire to make the Harry Potter series as true to the books and, and you know, just respect our, our you know, our, our story. And it really comes through. And you could tell when the movie got out, you know, I, I, I saw him on the way out and, you know, I, I said, I said, David, <laughs> with this big chain in my down. face. And he just like, he, he just looks at me and he's like, you can just tell that he's really happy because he knows that we are going to be very we're not going to be forgiving if you know justice is not done to these books so it's it's just that that it's fun yeah but also and with movie 7 i mean that's going to have a lot that's going to be a lot of pressure and i wish i asked one of them about that you have these two parts of the film and you, and they keep saying oh now we don't have to cut out as much we don't have to cut out as much but you know in reality they're still going to have to come out cut out something and when they do cut something out of movie seven parts one or two fans are going to be more upset because you know we are promised more content so i think it's going to be hard and there's i think there's a lot more pressure on them with that one i have to have a completely unrelated um anecdote that just popped in my head and um oh. this is i i apologize for this um but there it was at the at the actual showing of the movie right the way it works is when you go in the theater and then um alan horn the president of warner brothers comes out on stage and you know he says, "I'd like to thank you know X, Y, and Z." Did you, know, you boo him? The cast, huh? Did you boo him? I didn't boo him. He was the one who delayed the film. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he comes on stage, and the cast come on stage, and Dan says a few words, you know, saying, "You know, hope you enjoyed the film. I had a great time filming it." 
And uh, so, but but before that, Alan Horn or Heyman rather introduces all the cast. It has them come up on stage individually, and uh, you know everyone claps and cheers for them. And you can see who the most popular actors are based on how many screaming girls are just, you know, letting loose. Uh, and uh, there's, he, he, uh, he made a joke, right, that Dan, Emma, and Rupert hadn't gone on stage yet. And he was making a joke that, oh, that's everyone, you know, thanks, enjoy the film. And then uh, so he, he starts asking Dan, Emma, and Rupert to come on stage. And he says, you know, and finally, Dan Radcliffe, Rupert Grint. And then uh, really inexplicably, he uh, asks Vern Troyer. Vern Troyer was there with his family. Um, and if you haven't seen them, they are the absolute cutest people in the entire it's world. It's not Vern Troyer. It's Warwick Davis. Oh, no, Vern Troyer was there. Was it? Yeah, Vern Troyer. Yeah, Vern Troyer was there. Uh, who plays uh, Griphook, and uh, he's also Min Me from Austin Powers. And and so he's Whitwick. this big, and it's it's just it's it's so cute. He's this big, and if he's standing on the table, not big. not stage level. Oh yeah, standing on the table. <laughs> <laughs> so his entire family like stacked on top of each other is how, about how tall I am. So <laughs> anyway, so randomly he says, "Oh, and Vern Troyer." And it's just it, it's really conspicuous. It's like why why wouldn't you announce him earlier with all the other cast? Is it and then I realized, I yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Warwick Davis plays Flitwick. Yes. Yeah. Fern Troyer plays Griphook. Oh. Yeah. Well. No. I need to. No, you're right. You guys are right. But there was some discrepancy with movie one or something. But like it was that, Warwick Davis who was in the theater, though. I think. Yeah. I, but I thought on the cast list, the cast list, it said Vern Troyer. Yeah, it was, was positive. Yeah, it was Vern yeah. Troyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It said Vern Troyer. It, it wasn't, but okay. It was. We had, <laughs> yeah, no, we had because a, because after they said it, like I used to. No, we had, we huh. had a sheet. Ben, they gave us a sheet with names and faces on and it. Pic- and yeah. And pictures, and it said that, Vern Troyer. That's fine, but it was it was Warwick Davis. <laughs> I can tell you it was Warwick Davis because after you said Warwick Davis, I leaned over to Melissa and said. Warwick Davis. <laughs> I really, I really did. It was Warwick Davis. So anyway, it, it was really conspicuous that he didn't call up uh, Vern slash uh, Warwick up on stage, and then I, I had this realization that it's because when he when when uh, he was looking over to see which cast he hadn't called up, he couldn't even see him. <laughs> and it was like it was like oh my god moment, and uh, you know it, it, it was Warwick Davis. <laughs> <laughs> But I swear on the cast list, they give they give they give the press they give the press a list of names and faces and who they play. So when like people like Reuters, you know, they don't know who the cast are. It's they Reuters. See them. Reuters. Sorry, I'm sorry. Over here, I'm over here just everyone. argue with everybody. I'm a Reuter. I'm a Reuters Reuter. Whatever. Anyway, when they give a cast list of pictures. I swear it said Vern Troyer. It did. I think you're right. It did. But uh, that another email said Bork Davis. So. Wow, whatever. That was the worst <laughs> that was the worst debate. You should put that in this book. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about a couple other actors who really stand out. Jesse Cave and Jim Broadbent. Uh, Je- Jim Broadbent plays Slughorn and Jesse Cave plays Lavender. Extremely impressive over the top portrayals these guys had. I mean, uh, Micah, you want to talk a little bit about Jesse Cave or or Jim sure. Jimmy Boy? Uh, yeah, I mean, she was really nutty in her character. I thought she did yeah. a, a really good job. I mean, she was she was pretty, like, she matched the teenage psycho pretty well. I will say that. Um, and Jim Broadbent, I thought, just did an amazing job. I mean, he was spot on with Slughorn. Yeah. Jesse Cave, like, in person, I don't, know, I don't know if you've seen interviews with her, but she's a very shy person uh, in the interviews and stuff. And she's new. Like, she's, she's never acted before. But in this movie, she's, like, over the top in love with, with Ron. And it comes off so well. It's just yeah. so funny to watch. Like, every scene that she's in, it's just hilarious. And then Jim Broadbent. Emerson or Ben, you want to comment about him? 
I, well, did you like his portrayal? Did you? He, 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 he this is what up. happens when we record a real episode of MuggleCast, but then we always edit this out when nobody <laughs> talks. <laughs> I agree with Micah. Yeah. This is where I'd be pausing and deleting this area. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think of Jim? I mean, was he good? Yeah, he was excellent. Um, particularly, you know, the whole memory, the modified memory scene and all of that, he did, did it a lot of justice. Because uh, when, he, when he finally tells Voldemort about the Horcruxes, he, uh, he says, oh, this is for pure academic reasons, right, Tom? And then yeah, that was really was good. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> and was the girl behind you like, no, no? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do that in the movie next time. Like, no! <laughs> but uh, what do you think of Jim? I just said it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, well, I'll comment about Jim. He was, just, he was a really good, really impressive, really into the role. Uh, he wasn't at the premiere, even though he was supposed to be originally. But um, yeah, he, he did really good. So I was impressed by them. And they, they're the two standout actors, I think, in this movie, just because one, they're new to the films, and uh, they really did a great job. And also the uh, the Christian Coulson replacement for Hogwarts, uh, Tom Riddle, he was he was really good too. I think after after you watch Jesse Cave uh, portray, you know, Love Struck. Uh, Lavender, you're gonna. It, it's so gross. You're gonna have to take a shower when you leave the uh, theater. <laughs> this girl right here just reacted like you said, like something way extreme. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gross. It's just funny. It was funny. No, I mean, like in a good way, gross. Um, does anyone have any questions about the film? And we're still trying to keep this spoiler free. If you could just like come up and uh, here, I'll just call you guys up, and then you'll work your way up. You want to come out here? We need some uh, what? Well, yeah, but uh, it's a podcast. People got to hear it. Yeah, look, I can do this cool thing with my mic. Um, but yeah, it's all guys. We need some girls talking, or like these these speakers are gonna break. Okay, hi. Wh- what's your name? And uh, my, name is Joan. my name is Joan Miller. And and what's your question? Um, I was just curious what you guys thought of the casting of Narcissa Malfoy. Helen McCrory because she was set to play Bellatrix and then she got Prego and then they <laughs> and it was really cool I mean you could tell how bad they wanted her for the role because you know they brought her back for for Narcissa what do you guys think of her she was only in one what, scene, yeah she's not in right? that much I mean she's in the uh, uh, the unbreakable vow yeah. scene uh, I thought she did a did a good job. Uh, that scene, it was just awesome because you know, having read the book already, you know, they do the unbreakable vow, and you're like, oh, sorry, Dumbledore, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> did you really think when you saw that that he was going to die when you read it for the first time? Not when I read it. I'm okay. saying I'm saying knowing how it oh. ends. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, Micah. Yeah, she did a good job holding out her hand. <laughs> she didn't say much. She was in like, like Ben said, one scene. That, that I mean, it was. Who else got, has a question? So we can bring someone up on here. How about you, Ray? Yeah. yeah. Um, that scene in particular was just cool because, like, Narcissa's really upset, and it's an emotional scene, and you feel for her. So, hi. What's your name? My name is Gracie. What, uh, what's your question? Um, <laughs> I read in the L.A. Times interview with Bonnie Wright that the uh, thing between Harry and Ginny was changed a little bit. Like the kiss was in a different setting <laughs> there wasn't people around them how was it changed and was it like okay it wasn't that juicy to yeah. be honest <laughs> I, I was i was hoping for something a bit more juicy but then they might have had to make it pg-13 uh 
It was it was really just a kind of a, a glorified peck, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. And then actually in the junket it was a really funny moment. Dan apologized to Bonnie at the junket. He was like, I'm so sorry I watched that kiss back and it looks like I have the lips of a horse. It was just I was <laughs> like and then everyone was laughing so hard. He was explaining how his lower lip was like off or something. I don't know. But he's really disappointed with the kiss, I think. <laughs> Because David Yates, for some reason, doesn't let them watch playback. Like, you know, they film a scene. Normally, you could just go behind and be like, okay, let me check out what I did. But they don't let him do that. David Yates doesn't let him do that for some reason. I don't know. It's just not his style. Okay, is that our question, Mike? Sweet. Okay. Test. Test. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, Who else has a question? Eh, Go ahead. Test out our new mic. Hopefully it works. It has a fancy cover. <laughs> okay, um, I'm Amy. I was wondering, because um, Bonnie Wright, I love her, but she's kind of been like in the background for most of the movies, and they tried to play up, like, oh, I like Harry in the fifth movie. Like, oh, no, Hermione said that Cho likes me. Oh, no, I'm going to kiss Cho, and I'm yeah. looking sad because Ginny's in the back, whatever. So is it like out of the blue completely? Well, there was a really awkward scene in the, uh, in the borough when Harry and Ginny first see each other, and I just had to laugh because it was so... I don't know, corny, cheesy. I don't know. I was just like, oh come on, this is ridiculous. It's like, it's like in uh, Chamber of Secrets, was it? When they give the awkward hug, right? Wasn't that Chamber of Secrets? It's sort of like that. That's what it reminded me of. What do you guys think of Bonnie? And what was your question? If she had more of a prominent role, just oh yeah. Was there any setup? Uh, there wasn't really any setup. It was. Um, I think if you hadn't read the books. You'd be so confused. You'd have absolutely no idea why all of a sudden, you know, th- where these sparks came from, where well, the background for it. Um, but because, you know, we have read the book. So it was – I think the acting I thought was very comfortable. Um, I think they did as good a job as they could. I think this, I think that there maybe needed to be some more help from previous movies to really make it flow. But I, I thought they did as good of a job as they could by actually having just starting really in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot of subtlety in the first, you know, I'd say half hour to an hour of the movie. And uh, also I thought, you know, Hermione and and uh, Harry kept playing off of each other between, you know, Harry knowing that Hermione liked Ron and Hermione knowing that, that Harry liked Ginny. Yeah. Oh, and there's a scene, there's this Quidditch scene where they're having practice. And uh, I picked up on this. Uh, Harry is wearing the number seven and Ginny is wearing the number six. And seven goes after six. It's <laughs> a bit of a stretch, don't you think? <laughs> no. You, you don't think that was on purpose? <laughs> hey, maybe. It's a good theory, I suppose. I, why did you even notice that? <laughs> when you saw that, you were like, ah, I get it. It's like, I got to bring this up on MuggleCast. <laughs> you write it down. Did you tell the girl behind you? I told Melissa. <laughs> okay, who else, who else has a question? Uh, how about this girl in the pickle pack shirt? And then we'll, we'll get to you next. Let's you see, can come line up right now, and we can do this faster. Yeah, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, for anyone, yeah, yeah. for anyone uh, at home, we have about a ninety-five percent girl <laughs> population here. If you guys, shout out to the guy. Oh, I said five percent. You're in the five percent. Okay, maybe a little, maybe like eight <laughs> percent. So, uh, yeah. okay, this line's big enough. We'll wait till some people clear before. Other All right, what's, come what's line your name? Up. Where, where okay. are you from? I'm Chelsea. I'm from Long Island. Okay. And I was just wondering about this funeral because I know Eric said that they didn't really have a good funeral for Dumbledore. So, how did they do that? Like, there's did they no put homage to him at least? There's yeah. no funeral, but there is a moment of unity. Like, D- Dumbledore's 
he's dead, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> and <laughs> like, was there a sense of finality to his life? Yeah, well, well, he's dead, and then everyone, of course, comes out to look at the corpse, and <laughs> they, they all, they all, they all stand in the yard, and then there's this big moment where McGonagall's like. <sighs> and then, every, then you know everyone claps and it's all it's all good. There's no white tomb or anything like that though. Yeah. Did they have like a fox song or anything like that? No. We they, do see fox they flying. Have, yeah, <laughs> but no song, which was a bit disappointing. I thought they would do that too. And you do get a portrait. Oh, you see his portrait. In you do see the portrait. Okay. Yeah. Actually, he looks kind of weird in the portrait. I laughed a little bit. <laughs> he was like he was like snoozing and he was just like just like. Are you doing? Yeah, he, he was, I thought he was I saw slumped over at a really awkward angle. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> it looked like it looked like he was dead still or something, and they just threw him in a chair. Yeah. I, I didn't get that. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, thanks. Thank you. No problem. Hi, I'm Victoria. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And um, did you come I, here just for the premiere? Um. Well, we happened to be here, and then oh, good. we heard about this. So. Good. Um, I was wondering about how Tom Felton did as Draco Malfoy because he has really kind of been in the background for most of the movies, and this is the first movie where he has like a really prominent role. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, besides that, I mean, have you guys seen how much promotion he's doing for this tour? I mean, it's insane. Like, he was in Canada the other day, and I think he just flew to like Southern Africa, and like later tonight he's going to be back. I, I'm I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and tonight, uh, quick plug, he's going to be at the Hot Topic in Paramus, New Jersey. And my, is anyone going to that? Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, but uh, myself and Melissa uh, Nelly from the Leaky Collagen, we're going to be doing this panel thing with with her, and uh, so I'm bailing out of here in 20 minutes to go do that. But they're going to still be podcasting. But anyway, Micah, what do you think of Draco? Uh, he was good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I thought uh, compared to the past movies, he's definitely more on the forefront uh, for obvious reasons, and I thought he did a really good job. Um, you know, when he got tense about the whole. Um, situation he was put in by Voldemort. You can see a lot more uh, yeah. emotion coming out of him in this movie. He did a good job of showing, portraying how nervous and unsure of the situation that he was. I mean, particularly at the end, you know, when he's about to kill Dumbledore. You'll be pleased. Yeah, I feel like I feel like all the the, the child actors or who were once children are finally coming into their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Hi, I'm Trisha from Long Island. Um, well, first, I just want to congratulate Emerson on his engagement because uh, I still can't get you. over how cute that was. Thank you. Okay. Where's Gabby? Did she, she arrive? Gabby is on her way, and when she does, I make, She's sure, on I make sure I give her a really embarrassing uh, shout-out. <laughs> so get ready. Okay, guys, Every, Everybody comes, stare in point. Yes. No, no, seriously. When she comes, I want everybody to stare. <laughs> okay? Stare and smile and clap so loudly and wildly, and it'll be awesome. Okay? <laughs> she may be here. Right, Emerson you know. will be sleeping. She's pretty couch. short. I probably wouldn't see her in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. Uh, okay, so my ahead. question was um, about Quidditch. And, like, I know it hasn't been in, like, the last few films. So, like, like was it better? Like, was it refreshed? Like, what did you guys think about? Like, CG-wise, yeah. it was really impressive. And later that night, after I saw the movie, I watched Sorcerer's Stone. And, like, unbelievable how much more detail is in the Quidditch now. Just, just like, the stadium alone. You know, in Sorcerer's Stone, like, the stadium's, like, all bright. It's bright colors. Everything's cheery. It's very vibrant red, green, uh, yellow, and blue. But, like, in this, it's, like, all the colors are depleted, and it just looks more realistic. It looks really good. I can't wait to see it on Blu-ray, too. It's going to be incredible. Hi. I'm Nicole. I'm from Long Island. I go to Syracuse. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to. I was just curious if the clips gave away too much of the movie. No, I don't no. think so. Yeah. I mean, there there was a lot of clips. Did you guys think there was a lot of clips this year? Yeah, yeah. too many. Then again, I guess when you have to add seven months of promotional time, I guess that's what you have to do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> who knows how many more are still to come or what? We still got, what, five more days? So, um, no, I don't think so. Did you guys think, like when you watch, I mean, you know, we've all seen the promo clips. There are some, but I honestly, okay, I didn't watch them. Have you guys been watching them? Really? Okay. Can I just take a quick poll? Who 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 watches them? Like all of them or close to all of them? Okay, see, most people don't. I guess they're more for people who are just, like, not hardcore fans. Because, like, us fans, we don't really want to be spoiled, right? So. Well, I used to watch all of the clips. Really? Because I would, you know, it used to be, like, man, I, every day I'd be like, I want the movie now, 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 now. And so I'd watch, I'd watch all of them. And now you're like, what? Huh? I want the movie two when weeks from now. <laughs> when it comes. <laughs> I see. Because who knows when they're going to delay it again. Yeah. Yeah. I accidentally saw the first German clip too, the five minute leak. Oh, the first five minutes. I killed myself when I saw that. Really? The, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Um, I noticed that they haven't. Um, What's I'm your Sarah. name? What's Sarah? And Are you guys twins? Yeah, we're twins. Aww. Wait, I'm not Mike. Um. <laughs> 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 um, we noticed that um, they we, they said that they cut out some. Of Hold the, a little closer. That they said that they cut out some of the pensive scenes. Um, and they haven't cast. Rafe Fine, like, I know he's not in, he didn't shoot any footage for this movie. Yeah. Do you think, like, he would have been in the Hepzibah clip with Hokie, that memory? Um, do you think they introduced the Horcruxes enough so that Harry knows what to go look for? The, the cup? Yeah. Well, not so much the cup. Like, will he know to go look for it? I don't know. That's a good question. Do you guys remember any references to the cup? Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Uh, I mean, they. I thought they did set up the Horcrux was good because they see the real memory. They come out of uh, Harry and Dumbledore see the real memory. They come out of it, and then they start talking about it. Uh, and you know, I guess that isn't that when Dumbledore goes, "This is like no other magic I've seen before," or something like that. It's a really cool line, whatever it was. I butchered it, but yeah. So I think they set up the Horcrux as well, but that is going to be a problem. Yeah. Thanks, twins. <laughs> Hi, my name is Martina, um, and I was curious to know if there's any lines straight from the book that when you heard, you were like, oh, yes, I'm so glad they included that. Do you guys remember any? I could tell you one that wasn't in there, but I, I don't want to spoil anything. Well, the coward line, of course, that was in there. Um, and I'm sure they felt like it was really important to include that just because, like, you know, that's a pretty crucial line. And it really shows, uh, you know, how, how above Snape Harry feels now. But what, what what were you thinking? The well, Snape's response wasn't there. Don't oh, call me a coward. Yeah, and wh- I I read that scene back afterwards, and I was like, why didn't they include that? That scene goes by really fast. So when you watch it, try to experience try, it try in slow to, motion or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I, like honestly, I don't know. Can you guys remember any others? It's hard. It's sad because I just reread Half Blood Prince about three days ago, and I'm still. Wow, so you look even blanks. more stupid. Yeah, I look even more stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Probably gonna save that for not announcing that. I think there. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think. I mean, I honestly can't tell you, but there was some really good dialogue in there that I've. I, it reminded me of the books, and I felt like it was from the books. So, yeah, I'm sure they try. I mean, they gotta try. My Hi. name's Valentina. Hi. Um. 
what did you feel about them putting the scene with the borough when on on fire with Bellatrix, even if it didn't happen in the book? Do you think they set it up for the seventh movie? Um, when she says she's on she's on fire, like um, like the it's all on fire, the field and stuff. Oh yeah, setting up. I mean, that was that that scene that they added. Everybody knows about that now. They added a new scene that wasn't in the book. I mean, really, it's just a pacing scene more than, uh, than that's what they keep calling it. So that's what I'm calling it. It's just it's there to what they said was in the books. You see all these references to the dark to the dark magic going on around them. But they wanted the, the trio to experience it rather than just read about it. So that's why that scene was added where the, the attack happens on the burrow when they're actually in there. And, yeah, so I don't, I really, I don't think it has much to do with book seven or movie seven. What's up, dude? Thank you, our first guy. Uh, hi, I'm Irvin. And I was curious about the portrayal of Snape in the movie. Like, do they leave his loyalties ambiguous like they were in the book? Or are they obviously like, here's a hint he's good, here's a hint he's good? I think that if you're a fan, you're going to go into the movie, you're going to watch it, and you're going to know that he's good. Really? I think so. I, I think well, there, having there read book seven, we'll yeah, know. Yeah. But. There wasn't a lot of ambiguity, and I think there even some of the other people could have picked up on it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, of course, you see that scene where Snape's talking to Draco saying, let me help you. And Draco's like, I don't need help. So, I mean, that obviously puts him in the bad side. Thanks. Yeah. Snape was re- uh, Alan Rickman was really good, though. And there's like a couple. You know how he always draws out his 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 phrases. You know, he drew one out so long. It was like four <laughs> words, but it took like 20 seconds. And. <laughs> I thought he must have done it just to, like, mock himself. Like, because it was so drawn out, and I was laughing so hard. You remember which one that was? Was that, it was, was that Slughorn's party? Or was that another that, one? No, I was thinking about one? when he's examining the, the necklace, because uh, he says something to the trio or something. Or he says something to McDonald. McDonald. Ronald McDonald. Yeah, and anyway, it's so drawn out that it, it was just hilarious. You, no, I can't. I'm not even trying. Yeah, I can't even, even possibly make it last that long without <laughs> like my voice just cracking, and sounding horrible. Yeah. Hi, I'm Hi. Christine. Um, basically, I was just going to ask another Snape, Snape question. Was just how is his performance, Alan Rickman? Like, does he get like more screen time since this is such a big moment for him? Like, with the Unbreakable Vow, and then with the Astronomy Tower scene. Like, yeah. Did they do that justice? I wanted to bring book? up that that Unbreakable Vow scene. Like, going into his house, like I got all excited because like, wow, well, we're getting to see Snape's house, and we saw we've seen a couple of pictures from it. But yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, that seeing that scene, and I think I thought he was really good. Didn't you guys think yeah. overall? Ben, did you enjoy yeah. Alan? Yeah, I did a lot, actually. Uh, uh, particularly the scene at the end when uh, Harry tries to do Sectum Sempra on, uh, oh, yeah. on Snape. And then Snape is just like, try my own spell on me. You yeah, know, yeah. I am the half-blood Th- that's another. That's another line that was straight from the book, come to think of it. Yeah. Um, hi, my name is Aaron. Hi, um, Aaron. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering what you thought about uh, Fenrir Greyback and if Bill's injury was in that at all. Oh, yeah, that, that was disappointing how Bill's injury wasn't. I mean, friend, he didn't have that much screen time. You know, we all got excited when we saw the first pictures of him, but, like, there wasn't too much screen time for him. A- and he doesn't even say much. Yeah, he just kind of stands there looking scary Yeah, in every yeah. scene that he's in. <laughs> he's just with the Death Eaters, and that's, that's pretty much it. Hi. Hi, I'm Shalisha, and I came from Canada. 
Canada. For the premiere? Yeah, for the premiere. Nice. Well, I came to visit my cousins, but the premiere fell on a date, so. Well, that worked out nicely, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I mm-hmm. had two questions. Um, one of them is, do you think Half-Blood Prince deserved the PG rating? And the other one is, um, do you think um, the movie was as canon as possible? Well, we talked about the PG rating at the beginning. I mean, basically, you know, it it did. It did deserve it. And what was your second part? Um, do you think that the um, movies were as as true to the book as possible? I mean, you know, as much as they can be, it, they have to cut stuff out, and that's just that's just what happens. They didn't. There wasn't much. I don't think you'll see this movie and think, oh, you know, why would they add this scene and then not include this scene? There, there wasn't any really annoying gaping holes in story plots like having you know the marauders um in the past stuff that you know when you when you the absence of it was very conspicuous and very alarming this movie didn't have anything that really stood out to me as being crucial to the plot that couldn't be used in some other way it couldn't be glossed around somehow mm-hmm. hi. hi my name is Cerebo and i wanted to know what you thought of the scenes that they added in after and how you thought they like mm-hmm. helped or took away from the movie as a whole uh, the the attack on the borough. Yeah. What what do you guys think of that? It was it was it was a cool scene. I don't I don't know how necessary it was. I guess it, it did kind of show the whole you know that there's trouble going on in the you know outside of Hogwarts. Yeah. So it did accomplish its purpose for that. But I think there was other ways to do it. I I, I didn't mind it though. I think like it's it, it was weird for me. Like it started off cool, then it started sucking, and then it got better, <laughs> and then it got bad again. Because like it's a whole. It's like four things happen in that scene. Four main things happen in that scene. And I don't know. It, it wasn't as tense as I thought maybe they were hoping. It worked, but – and that's one of the scenes you see Gray back in, of course. It I is sad, it though. Weird. The, huh? I just thought it was weird when all of a sudden the burrow was just bursting in flames. And they're, yeah. all, and they're all standing there. And then the next scene, everybody's happy again. And yeah. It's, uh, it's it was all so good. weird. It went from sad to happy, like, really quick. And, uh, you know – uh, all of a sudden, there's just some explosion outside or whatever, and then Harry sees Bellatrix, and he just takes off running like an idiot. Harry Potter should have died. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, by the way, in a nutshell, is Ben's entire argument. <laughs> He's dumb. <laughs> yeah, and then Harry and Ginny run out there, and then... Like they're just in this middle of this field, and I don't know. They they, they should have gotten killed, like right there. <laughs> but the, the show must go on. I'd like to take a moment here to uh, announce the presence of a very special guest, my beautiful us. fiance, hiding behind the CDs, Gabby Montero. <laughs> Give her a hand. <laughs> Gabby, you're so lucky. Yeah. I wish I could be you. Gabby is, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the co-founder of two, uh, I'd like to think, amazing websites, uh, one of which, this is my, time, my shameless plug, I apologize for the interruption, <laughs> one of the websites is called GivesMeHope.com. It's a website where people post stories, really hopeful, uplifting stories, very short, 300 characters or less, and I guarantee you, if you go on there, and unless you're like the most cynical person on the planet, I think you will go there and you will smile, Okay. So that's your, your homework for the night is to go check out the website if you haven't already. If you have, I appreciate the support. Um, another website, shameless plug number two, apologize for the interruption. It's called givevoogle.com. It's a website that Gabby and I launched together. It's spelled G-I-V-O-O-G-L-E. It looks and functions exactly like Google. But every time you use Givoogle, we have a banner ad on the page 
Advertisers pay us for every 1,000 people who see the banner ad, and then we donate that money to the American Red Cross. Or sorry, to uh, the American Cancer Society. So you can raise money for Google just by – or raise money for charity just by searching the web. So I encourage you all, if you set Google as your homepage and you don't do anything else, you just use it like you normally would use Google, you can raise $74 a year. So I encourage you all to, to – when you get back to your computer, set it as your homepage. It's a great way to make a difference in the world without having to really do all that much. So, all right, shameless plug over. Let's continue. And we now return to our normally and scheduled programming. Hi, guys. Hi. I'm Christine, um, and I have two questions. First – what did you think about the development, if any, of the relationship between Harry and Professor Lupin, especially or Lupin now, especially since like since Sirius died, he's kind of the only sort of family he had. In a nutshell, you don't see any of it. You see Lupin really quick, oh. huh? Sorry. In a nutshell, you don't see any of it really. You see you see Lupin a couple times, but I don't even think there's dialogue between them. Yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, he yells at him. Like yeah, Lupin basically oh, right, says, there's that. Okay. Uh, if Snape trusts Dumbledore, you should trust Dumbledore kind of thing. Yeah, okay, there's that. I but mean, it if Dumbledore trusts the relationship, you should trust <laughs> Dumbledore. My bad. Okay, and then the second question, do we see Lillian James at all in this one? No. Oh, okay. Are you going somewhere? Am I going somewhere? Yeah, I don't know. You're just walking I'm with your coat on your purse. It looks like you're ready to <laughs> bounce out of here. Well, I have to go back to New Jersey later. Oh, but me too. Are you going to Hot Topic? I can't, oh. but I would. <laughs> you okay. can tell him I said hi. Okay. <laughs> hi. Hi. I'm one of the... Are you two twins, too? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm one of the impatient hardcore fans, so I watch all the clips and interviews for the movie. And when I was watching them, I noticed there... Daniel Radcliffe was talking. He's like, well, it's very important in this one. Harry has to get the memory from Slughorn. So I just want to know if the movie is more centered around Harry trying to find the memory about Horcruxes. I feel like I feel like that's kind of when the movie, the action kind of starts. Really, is when Harry finally obtains the memory, and then that's yeah. when it kind of breaks into, uh, I don't know, the uh, conclusion. Right? Out of it breaks out of. Uh, there's like stage one is humor and teenage drama, and then stage two is awesome action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when I started shedding a tear or two, maybe, allegedly, because I, because like it just sets everything up for the rest of the films, the next two films too. Like you know, this is it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have another question: Is Tonks in this movie at all, or not really? Yes, very briefly. Is there Lupin and Tonks, or not? I don't. I mean, yeah, she not calls like, him honey, and that's it. Or he calls her honey. So they're just kind of together, or not? Yeah, really? yeah they're standing really close together. Oh. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Cassandra, and uh, my question is, um, since they didn't introduce the locket in Grimmauld Place in the in movie five, how did they introduce that in this movie? Um, well, Katie Bell just uh, all of a sudden just flies up in the air. And yeah. Boom. <laughs> and then. And uh, that scene was. God, so I would say that I mean the, in the books, all that was was foreshadowing, and so they didn't have to introduce it then because it didn't really play that big of a role. I don't think. And that scene is weird because they're coming back from Hogsmeade, the trio are there. And like Hermione seems drunk, and I don't know if this was I don't know if this was that in the books. Cuz she's standing in the middle of Harry and Ron, and she just she's like she's walking between them and then she just goes like this. She's like <laughs> And then and then Katie Bell comes, you know, and then they run into Katie she Bell. Probably had too much butter beer. Yeah. yeah, well that's yeah, probably. Maybe Emma Watson was drunk. Maybe Emma Watson was drunk. <laughs> Allegedly. 
I just want to know um, how much of the relationship between Dumbledore and Voldemort you get to see in like the course of like the <clears throat> memories and kind of divulging that kind of history, I guess. Between who again? Sorry? Dumbledore and Voldemort. Oh. Or I guess Kitty Voldemort. <laughs> not, not, well, yeah, there is that like one the scene. Orphan scene, but is that, that's it? Yeah. Right? I think that's pretty much the only thing. Yeah. 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 But that, that is a really cool scene. Though. It is a good yeah. scene, though, yeah. Because it, it kind of reminds you that uh, Dumbledore is the entire reason that Voldemort came to Hogwarts right. to begin with. And I don't know. Yeah, Dumbledore has a cool line about that to Harry, I think, about how I should I should know how he works or whatever because he's my student or something like that. I think that was in the book, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Uh, hi. Uh, I just wanted to know um, the scene where Dumbledore and Harry are on the tower with Malfoy. Like, is that... Like how how has that worked out? Does like Dumbledore actually like, fall off the tower? Yeah. Like was it was it good? Uh, it was quick. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quick. Um, Malfoy is uh, just kind of like crying. He's just like, oh, I can't do it. Because I was boom. listening to uh, your other podcast and like you were like discussing the trailer and you said like uh, Malfoy has like a whiny voice. Is like does that like is that throughout like the whole scene there? Mm, no. He starts crumbling. No, because you know in the book how Dumbledore is really, like, trying to get into Draco's mind. He's like, you know, I can help you. You can be on our side. We can protect you. He's he's doing that, but Draco's not the whiny voice thing. I think it was just that one line. Okay. Thank you. So before you just say your name, you have to explain yourself why you're wearing a pink wig and purple glasses. Spectre specs. I know, but (laughs) the pink hair is still... Tongues. It's awesome. Thank no, you. it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, hi. I'm Jennifer. Hi. Uh, thought you said you were tongs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm both. I can be both. Um, I have a question, not really about the movie, more like, um, do you think Warner Brothers will ever allow uh, the BBC to make uh, like a mini series of uh, each book, so mm. like we can see more of what they've let out, left out? And do you think that's a good idea? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's a good idea, but I don't think WB would allow them to do that because it just seems like a, a rights thing uh, that w, uh, WB would want to protect the franchise that may be going a little too far because suddenly that sort of cheapens the movies, I think, maybe. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I, I don't think they're going to. It's just like you said. I think that unless they have a huge budget for it yeah. and they can get you know the right people, the right actors, the right everything in place, it seems like... I, I don't think they'd want to mess with it, considering how protective they are about making sure that every little detail is taken care of and done right. Yeah. Anything else, guys? Thanks. Thank you. My name is Miranda, and I was just wondering if Creature was in it and, like, what they did with him, if he looked like no. Dobby. He wasn't in it at all. <laughs> no Dobby. Every time the house elves come on the screen, it costs a lot of money. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true. I mean... But still, I, I I think it was I think it was just a plot thing. But he'll be back for seven at least, creature and Dobby, of course. We saw the pictures. Hi, Hi, I'm Jen. I was just curious. I've heard that they've dwindled down or uh, shortened how many memory scenes they had from the book into the movie. And I was wondering if the transitions with the memories gave it enough plot to keep going with. Uh, the movie, if it was understandable enough for Harry to want to go after the Horcruxes, yeah, to look back and see if. Yeah, I think so because Dumbledore was really emphasizing how important it was to get that memory, and you see the whole scene where uh, Harry tries to get the real memory from Slughorn, 
Um, so, yeah, I think that important was there. Yeah, and he explained the ring, too. Um, the what? The ring. Oh, the ring, yeah. How he went and, uh, what do you say, belonged to his mother, I think? Mm. Yeah. I'm not sure. I yeah. can't remember. Yeah. So. yeah. Thanks. Cool. Well, uh, uh, cool, well before, a question that I had was, at the beginning of the movie, I did not understand this, when Dumbledore's walking with Harry, and there's, like, all these cameras flashing, oh, and then I, so I, didn't, I, I didn't get that, oh, really. Yeah. Okay. Because they, they didn't really tie it in, I didn't think. The movie starts out, and if you guys saw the featurette on the Harry and Dumbledore relationship, you see it in that, too. Uh, the very opening scene, of course, you see WB logo in the clouds like you do every film, but um, with this one, you there's this quick flash it's a flashback to Order of the Phoenix, but it's not from Order of the Phoenix. It's like it's during that ministry thing when the ministry – I guess not the ministry paparazzi, but the paparazzi was, you know, taking pictures because, you know, Harry had just, you know, escaped Voldemort, you know, at the end of Order of the Phoenix. So that's what it was. It was just a flashback. It was really cool. It really – Heartbreaking because you see Harry and Dumbledore just surrounded by press, and Harry's just holding on to Dumbledore and all that. Yeah, but I gotta say it was a really good film. As much as uh, you guys, as much as much as we're like, <laughs> as much as we're like putting it down a little bit right now. I mean, it was best one yet. Oh, the <laughs> other thing, the other thing was the the blackened hand. Dumbledore had the blackened hand, yeah. but I, I think they could have done a better job like having Harry ask about that or something because that could have played into. He did address it briefly, didn't he? Well, Dumbledore mentioned it when he was explaining to Harry about the ring. He mentioned that, you know, that's how... Oh, yeah, happened. yeah, yeah. But, okay, so these three are going to take it on from here, and I'm going to bail out of here. It's a shame none of you are going to be at the Hot Topic event tonight, but, yeah, so that's where I'm going. But thanks, everyone, for coming, I just want to say, and I'm sure... You'll be left in good hands. And we won't keep you too much longer. I think you, you guys want to stick around just to hear Ben's defense of the title of this book. <laughs> so, Ben, uh, you think Harry Potter should have died, huh? What's wrong with that? <laughs> Everybody dies. Go on. We're, we're intrigued. We, we would like um, to hear the, the reason. Well, he's just an idiot. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Time and time again, like, he should have died. Like, there's no denying this, that he should have died a long time ago, because how many times can you survive, like, the most powerful dark wizard? Bye. 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 <laughs> that was, like, out of a Broadway musical. <laughs> so, yeah, he should have been a goner a long time ago. Um, Emerson lives in fairy tale land, so uh, he th- he disagrees with me. But it's the word is should. Yeah, well, <laughs> whoops, karma. Um, the word is should, and uh, yeah, he should have died a long time ago. And the movie proves that he's he's an idiot. He doesn't he doesn't listen. Um, he just got lucky. Period. Yeah. So Ben, what would your response be if somebody used the 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 logic that you know the What's whole your response? Why should he have lived? Okay, well, I would say that the overarching theme, if you had to pick one throughout the entire series, the one singular overarching theme is Dumbledore's contention that love is the most powerful force in the universe. You know, there's like the, the famous quote from the first book, you know, there's only power and those too weak to seek it. So if love, if the overarching message is, is you know, what is love and is it really more powerful than, than you know, dark magic, than hate, than power, then how could J.K. Rowling construct this plot and then kill him so uh, well just I, I my <clears throat> what I keep coming back to and yes I've said this about a thousand times but it just it still makes perfect sense to me that when I when I kind of zoom out on Harry Potter and I think about JK Rowling right what what she was 
what must have been going through her, her head when she came up with this idea for the series, I just have trouble getting past thinking about her sitting on that train, sitting on this train when, when she had the idea for Harry Potter. And I just imagine her just sitting on the train, and all of a sudden, she, in this, this flash of inspiration, she gets this idea for a book. It's going to be the greatest story, one of the greatest stories ever told. It's going to be about that. It's going to be about a boy whose life sucks, <laughs> and then he dies. Well, you, Emerson, you, Emerson, you talk about love and conveying a theme of love. Uh, he could die in a very loving way if he was <laughs> to, you know, perhaps sacrifice himself. Uh, for his friends or for the good of the wizarding community because, yeah, he can die in a loving way. You know, it would not necessarily have to be... It wouldn't, it wouldn't have to violate that theme for him to die, is what I'm saying. And I, plus, he's an idiot. <laughs> Just thinking, what kind of message would that send to children all around the world who are reading these books and reading about this kid who's had every obstacle thrown in his way, every unfortunate thing happened to him, you know, born an orphan, all these... He's been asked to sacrifice so much already... And then uh, he dies. It's, it, it, just, it seems really depressing. And I think I would have trouble rereading the books just knowing that there's no happy ending. If you know, I'm one of those right, people I, I, do, right. I don't like when I watch a movie and the hero dies at the end. I need to know that you know, all the stress that I'm enduring for this character, at least he's going to live at the end. I, I, I need to know that. And I, I could just see this being just a bit of a blow. If you're, you know, you're eight years old and you're reading this book and then – it just seems. It just it, how how much how much can how much can one person possibly sacrifice and then not get a little bit something at the end called being able to live. How many times can one person possibly get so lucky as to to thwart the Dark Lord eighty five thousand times and yeah, I don't know, kill him. I, I what do you guys think would happen if hypothetically? What if Micah J.K. Think? Rowling, I wonder what Micah thinks. <laughs> I, I didn't write the book. No, <laughs> I, I don't care, Micah. Should he have died? He should, should, Micah, should. Well, he did, technically, for oh. a brief moment. Did he? But but did he? That's the question. I don't know. I didn't read the book. <laughs> I, I'd be curious to see a show of hands here. Who thinks Harry Potter actually died in the seventh book? Wrong. <laughs> very, it, it, very simply, J.K. Rowling said years and years and years and years ago, when the only I think it was after the third book had been released, she said unequivocally, you cannot come back from the dead. The dead cannot be brought back to life. I know there's ways that you can twist it uh, to make it seem like, oh, well, maybe she meant this, maybe she meant that. But that statement seems pretty hard to get but around. Do you agree that he was dead-ish? Well, the way when J.K. Rowling, in, 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 what I think it was the Today Show, after the book was released, she said specifically, no, Harry didn't die. The Horcrux, the Horcrux was, was destroyed. But Harry didn't die. He had a choice. That was what the, the, the metaphor of the platform was for. He could choose. It is our choices, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> he got it in. He got it in. But, but if he did, you wouldn't be able to write the book. If, if what? If he did die, you wouldn't have been able to write the book. Yeah, Harry Potter died. Mugglelot.com's <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter died. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, hand me, the, hand me one of those real quick. <laughs> are we gonna Are we gonna get a uh, a, re- a reading session from uh, Mr. Baritone? <laughs> no, uh, let's see. Um, okay, one question. We'll, just, we'll do a few more, then we'll let you guys go. But um, 
Voldemort, uh, in, in particularly in Half Blood Prince in the movie, uh, you know, you see Voldemort at the orphanage and you see him as a young kid, and you realize that it seems to me that he wasn't given much of a chance because, you know, he grew up and, you know, your environment shapes you a lot, and it's the old nature versus nurture debate and asking the question is, should we pity Voldemort or should we hate him? And obviously, based off of his actions, you know, you can hate the actions of what he's done, but is it Voldemort's fault that he turned out the way he did, or was he just a victim of the circumstance? Any input? Does anybody want to come up here and talk into the microphone? Well, if you're going along with choices, then he chose to do these things. And if your choices defined you, not your actions, then he is evil because he chose to do these evil things. But how, but how much can you actually choose, though? Like, do you choose what environment you're born into? Do you choose who your parents are? Do so you then choose did Harry choose to live? Hmm? Did Harry choose to live? That's the question. I don't know. <laughs> yes. I'll existentially leave it up for debate. What do you think, Emerson? He did. He, I mean, the, Dumbledore said it. You know, you have a choice. You can continue on with this fuzzy existence, this kind of half, you know, half alive, but uh, still happy, warm fuzziness. Or you can go back to face the potential pain that the real world is. And Dumbledore went back and faked being dead and then came and kicked butt. Yeah. <laughs> if I did, you know what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> but do you? But do you think we should pity Voldemort or hate him? That's what I was actually asking. Well, I don't think, like, if you're Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really difficult. It's difficult. I I'd, I'd like to think that I'm I'm capable of of just you know being strong enough to to pity him, but it does kind of come back to choices. Um, I think that you know if, if it wasn't if if the, the, the if the, the, the another large theme of the book being choices, uh, if it wasn't for that, I would say I would say pity him. But because J.K. Rowling was so clear about choices being what determines your destiny. It's hard for me to reconcile that. They were very similar. Harry Potter certainly, uh, they both lived lives as orphans that were unloved and, and ill-appreciated and treated badly, and yet they took radically different paths. Okay. <laughs> so we've been, uh, now we've been, we've been talking here for about an hour and 15 minutes, and we don't want you guys, we don't want to keep you guys here until, uh, until, until midnight. So... Um, this is the point at which we are going to uh, we're going to say thank you to everybody who showed up. We're going to say thank you to Borders. Thanks for coming out to support us. Um, one one quick thing though, um, you just have to remember uh, that the magic is real if you choose to see it, and don't be a muggle. That's all I got to say. 